Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, the creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. You can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, conventions, and more. You can go to Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed. This is a network of uh, 12 uh, newspapers in 20 plus markets that we do game reviews for. We have our skewed and reviewed magazine, which is available at Barnes and Noble, MagCloud, Magster, several other outlets. And of course, each week I'm on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. You can also catch us on Sci-Fi Radio each Friday. And uh, it's been a bit crazy, folks. As you may or may not know, last weekend, uh, we were away, we had a cruise, and uh, we were doing some coverage at Knott's Berry Farm or their Berry Festival. We got done with the cruise and raced up and did a few hours at WonderCon, got some interviews in, got to see Bob's Burgers, uh, the movie. I had a couple of interviews. We had staff members doing interviews, and then we did our alien panel at the end of the day before we came back. So when we got home Monday afternoon, the week was just getting away from us. I had a backlog of work, so we didn't have uh, time to get in a show last week. And so we wanted to make sure we did it this week, even though it was uh, some news was really uh, over and done and some was quick. We wanted to uh, start off with this uh, discussion about E3. So for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you know by now, uh, while we were away on our trip, the news came down that E3 uh, had canceled the 2022 show outright. And to be uh, clear, it wasn't so much canceled as they essentially announced they would not be having a show. There was a lot of spec, we had known for months that there would not be an in-person show like they had hoped in June or any time this year. But the speculation was that they would do another online uh, experience like they did last year. And then they had to announce this was not going to happen. Now, uh, this, of course, has caused all sorts of reaction through the gaming community where people are questioning what is the relevance of live shows? Are people going to uh, you know, pay more attention to things like the Summer Games Fest that are coming? Uh, what's going to happen with the upcoming shows like Gamescom, like PAX East, like PAX West? And of course, Tokyo Game Show, Paris Games Week, things like that. Are these live gaming shows dead in place of trailer reveals? And of course, then there's the flip side of it. Well, WonderCon's back. You had a Star Trek mission in uh, Chicago this weekend. You have Comic-Con coming back to in-person. You have Fan Fusion. You have, you know, any number of things. We have CinemaCon coming up. Um, Boy, you know, Star Wars Celebration, the D23 Expo. So the media side seems very convinced for film and television that live shows are back and that they need to do them. So, Justin, let's just focus on E3 for right now. What did you make of this announcement and what do you think this holds for the future of E3? Yeah, so uh, things aren't looking good for E3 and they haven't been for a little while. You know, I think they're, they've kind of hit uh, been hit by by a slew of bad news um, time and time again, and a, a lot of this I actually attribute to just really bad timing. Um, you know, they they have to plan these these events very far in advance uh, to get people lined up. They have to kind of start you know planning out the venue. It's not something they can do overnight, 
And I think that at the at the time that they had to make a commitment of to to do a large in person event, um, the the cases were uh, kind of bad, and we were kind of in shaky territory as to the the status of uh, of the of the virus. Um, so you know, it, I think when you're in the decision uh, room there to, to uh, whether to go forward to make the commitment like okay we're gonna actually put money down and start planning um in this in-person event um my inclination is that they were kind of at a crossroads of like well the pandemic could take another turn for the worse or it could get better and uh they didn't really want to roll the dice uh, that's kind of the the impression i get but i think certainly a huge part of this as well is that in order to have a show um you have to have attendees um they are essentially a platform and you know they've been the biggest platform for um companies to reveal their new products uh that coming out basically for the year and in years to come for a long time and for a while now a lot of uh really large uh game producers have been pulling out of e3 in lieu of doing their own events um in large part a lot of them are kind of more relying on the nintendo model of doing kind of like an online um kind of show thing where uh it's like basically pre-recorded and uh they just basically present the the news and the trailers um to an online uh audience but you know i think a lot of companies are looking at like even if they wanted to do in-person event a lot of them have kind of figured out that they can basically hold their own venue just basically rent out like a, a warehouse or whatever uh put a bunch of seats in it and uh and kind of do their own convention um you know you you have things like QuakeCon that are that are becoming bigger for for bethesda and their reveals um you know blizzcon has obviously been a thing for a very long time uh, ea has kind of done their own thing like that as well so uh, i i think between the pandemic and a lot of companies uh basically pulling out of e3 um to in lieu of doing their own events um i think that really put the pressure on them to to cancel and i think what what e3 really needs is they need to they need to have one event that really nails it and really hits it out of the park um that could have been this year i think you know i think where the cases are now uh, in, in regards to the pandemic, uh, it's looking pretty good. And certainly by June, July, um, it probably, most people would probably feel pretty safe about doing an E3 kind of event. Um, so they probably could have done it, but I think the risk was there. And uh, maybe they just need to wait another year and really kind of nail uh, the next one. Um, if not, you know, the, the, the danger here is if there's enough years without E3, people are going to get used to you know the game industry without it yeah very very good point michael we were at the last one they held in 2019 and uh, you know as we talked many times there was all the doom and gloom about this is it it's done uh you know ea's already pulled out and sony's not here and activision's not there and we also went in there with a very open mind and we had tons of stuff i remember uh, lots of stuff from Ubisoft, THQ, Warner Brothers, um, Capcom, Square Enix. I remember spending a lot of time over with uh, Bethesda playing the, uh, you know, various games that they had. And um, 
So what, what do you make of all this? Yeah, so, I mean, to go along with what Justin said, I mean, I think there's a couple of points here. One is Nintendo had already pulled out. EA had pulled out a long time ago and ran their own show. Sony had pretty much said they're not going to do it anymore after 2018 or whatever it was. Um, so that really left the big ones that were left were like Bethesda, Activision, Microsoft, who are now under the Microsoft umbrella. So, and Blizzard. I mean, there's really there's really nobody left to participate in E3 that doesn't... Um, isn't either considered more of a, an indie, and again, I know THQ and Ubisoft aren't necessarily indies, but um, they're the smaller of the studios, um, and Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo can pretty much go their own way with this sort of thing. Um, because again, we already have QuakeCon, BlizzCon. I would suspect, uh, to, honestly, I, I don't see E3 coming back, at least not as it was. I do see potentially kind of how Sony has done in, in the past, where Microsoft might have their own um, Microsoft-type convention show where they're going to combine QuakeCon, BlizzCon, and a Microsoft like Xbox showcase maybe into one bigger... If they, if they do away with QuakeCon and BlizzCon as individual events and maybe make it more of a um, Microsoft sort of uh, event, kind of like Sony has done in the past, I could potentially see that occurring... Again, I don't. I, I we definitely. I don't definitely don't see Sony, Nintendo, or EA ever contributing back in E3 again. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because I asked a few people about it, and what they told me was there was a lot of what they took it took as indecision, in that you know they were kind of okay. What's happening? Are we doing something or are we not doing something? And by the time they started to get emails saying, okay, uh, uh, we're, we're going to go online, we're going to go online, the belief was there wasn't enough time to build any hype or excitement about it. You know, some of them were essentially saying, you know, here we are in, in April, and if we're basically being told you got to come up with your showcase by June, they didn't feel that there was enough time to really hype things up. And if you look back to last year's show, um, obviously it was a learning process, but they had the online portion where you could go in and meet with the companies. But as you remember, Michael, a lot of them were not staffed. I mean, it was supposed to be these virtual booths that you could go into, check in, have your meetings with the people and so on and so forth. And for me, at least, the majority of them were nothing more than hi, leave your name. It was essentially an automated hi, leave your name and your email. And so for me, the whole event was the day one showcases where they showed the trailers and stuff of upcoming games, which I thought was quite good. But as you both highlighted, there's a lot of companies saying, well, we can do that on our own without having to pay a fee to be a part of it, or we could take part in the summer game series. And, you know, for me, I look at it and say, you've got to make the event worthwhile again because it was such a solid part of the gaming community. June was going to be the showcase for the reveals. June was going to be the first look. And now the companies are saying, we don't need to be pushed into making our reveals on that timeline. We can do them when we want. Now, obviously, it's going to take something, we've talked about this a lot, something high profile misfiring greatly to the point where they want to go back and do live shows. But the question is, do they go back to a big showcase like E3? Do they do their own thing? Or do they take part in smaller 
showcases or other showcases, which brings us to our next topic, PAX East, which is going to be taking place in two weeks in Boston. And uh, they had virtual one uh, last two years, only had smaller indie studios. We have more studios taking part, some bigger names this year. Uh, but again, we still see an absence of the big boys. I mean, just running down the list, there is no Nintendo, there is no Microsoft, there is no Sony. I did not see Capcom there. I don't see Square Enix there. I don't see Ubisoft. Um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing companies like MSI, which is great. I'm seeing companies like Gearbox there, but they've already announced they're there to push Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which, which just shipped. Uh, so, Michael, you start us off. You, you know, looking down the list, what, uh, what were you like, oh, great, they're back, but what else was, oh, wow, they're not there for you? Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of go along with the E3 thing, I think, you know, I saw this, somebody mentioned this on one of the podcasts, I, was, I can't remember which one now, but the, the, the days of surprises and um, things being shown off before they get leaked um, to the general public are pretty much gone, right? I mean, pretty, we pretty much hear about the leaks. We pretty much hear about the, the big reveals in a world that's so socially connected now through social media, through YouTube, through just general drops of information that we get. It's harder to have these big reveals that are exciting for people which I think was one of the big draws of a lot of these shows with E3 and impacts with seeing what's coming. And in a lot of ways, whether that's intentionally dropped by the company just to kind of, you know, build up some buzz or excitement or, you know, just happens to be a leak somehow, it does take away from the, the excitement, I think, for a lot of these shows. And, and PAX East has always been kind of one of the ones that has uh, had, a, the PAX in general has always had a lot more of an indie focus um, yeah, they would have the, the, a couple of big names there, but I don't think it's too surprising that without an E3 that we wouldn't see a lot of the big players at the PAX shows either. And I would assume that PAX West is going to be similar. I think, I think the PAX shows in general are going to start driving more of an indie focus, which is kind of what they were always designed to be, honestly, um, to kind of help some of the, the smaller studios and, and the ones that didn't have the bigger budgets really kind of showcase what they had coming out. Uh, a lot of these studios that wouldn't have had an invite to E3 or just potentially wouldn't have had the money to invest in doing a show or a huge presence at E3. Because let's face it, even the big even the big companies had always kind of complained about the cost of E3, what, the, uh, what they were being charged to participate in the show outside of the, you know, above and beyond just putting on the presentations um, and, and, you know, flying their people out there and that sort of thing, um, which I think PAX had tried to make that a bit more... Uh, something that the smaller studios could stomach and still partake. And then, of course, the bigger studios had an opportunity to, to be with them as well. And, and to Justin's point also, the same with PAX, is there's still just so much unknown with the pandemic, and you know, with um, new variants that come out and, and that sort of thing. I think there's, there's a real reluctance to plan for anything large when there's a potential that um, it could potentially be canceled. I mean, again, these things... You know, these things aren't planned in three, four, or five months. These are like, you know, a lot of a lot of these types of events, conferences in general. SDCC is a great example. They start planning the next year's show, usually the week following the, the closure of the first one. I mean, we see this with Not Scary Farm. We see this with um, Phoenix Fan Fusion. Even the smaller shows have to begin scheduling, budgeting, and, and preparing, you know, for the pr next year 
uh, you know, a couple weeks following the event. And I just think with everything going on, um, A, I don't think the gaming industry has seen an impact by not doing live shows. I think financially, I think they're, they've, they've had, you know, you know, whether it's because people are staying home with the pandemic, so it's driving up um, sales. I certainly don't think Sony or Nintendo or Microsoft are hurting without doing these shows. Uh, I think I think the shows really only benefit those who are the more indie folks who don't necessarily get their get their information out any other way. Um, so I, I, I'm not surprised with the, the you know with PAX again. We see with some of the normal the, the standard people that show up at PAX, some of the hardware vendors, the MSIs, um, Gigabyte, those types of places tend to show up um, along with you know the smaller gamers gaming studios. Um, but I think. Until a the pandemic, we are at a point where that's just something we've kind of moved on past. I think next year is probably where we'll be with that. Um, you know, assuming things go in a positive direction, um, if we're going to see some of these things come back to full force, I think it's a little bit different with the comic cons and the fan fusions and things because those are more, those have always been more um, fan driven, whereas um, the, the E3s and the PAXs, um, those types of conventions have always been more industry driven. And I think fan-driven events tend to draw a lot more interest um, within both the community as well as the presenters doing the work. I think when you're talking about industry conventions, even though, yes, fans are invited to E3 and that sort of thing, that was always kind of an afterthought for the E3 um, teams. And I think ultimately that what they're seeing is there's not a lot of, they're not seeing the return on investment from an industry perspective that they would um, just by doing shows again remotely um, so again unless you're a, a smaller studio that doesn't have a way to get your name out there get your demo out there in other ways I think I think the way things are is I just think the larger studios don't have a incentive to go back to that kind of format very interesting Justin your take please yeah I definitely think M Michael makes a lot of really good points and um, you know I've been to PAX a couple times uh, really really long time ago at this point and even back then I could kind of see you know, I, I went really at the sweet spot, I think, because uh, the year, the first year I went, uh, there were actually quite a few really big uh, uh, things shown there. I remember I played, um, you know, the Battlefield 3 demo was there, um, Tribes Ascend was revealed, which I know that's kind of more of a mid-tier, um, you know, not not quite a AAA game, but, uh, and it was done by a... Um, uh, technically independent studio, but it did have kind of like the budget of a, um, you know, somewhere between like a AAA game and like a, and like just a very small time indie uh, title, which I think was really the sweet spot for PAX. Um, you know, those kind of developers, which there's really not many of anymore. Um, usually for indie titles nowadays, um, they're usually pretty small scale. Um, and then, you know, you've got your huge studios, but uh, the first year I went, uh, just going back to that real quick, um, like I said, you know, uh, Bethesda was there. Uh, they showed off um, Wolfenstein. You know, Battlefield Three was there. Um, you know, so uh, you know, and Tribes of Sin, Duke Nukem Forever was shown off there. Like there were a lot of pretty big titles and proud of pretty big names. And the second year I went, it was a little more subdued. There wasn't quite as many big big. Uh, uh, big names there. You can definitely feel that um, it was more indie focused. Uh, the biggest one I remember the second year I went was Gearbox showing off um, Borderlands, the pre-sequel. Um, and I, I really think what a lot of big studios saw PAX as is an opportunity to to create 
buzz uh, online by by allowing um, fans basically to play you know builds and, and demos of, of games that aren't worn out yet and I think there you know I think there's a value to that you know I, I think um, it was pretty cool to see this stuff uh, before it was out you know you, you kind of get excited like oh wow I got to see something uh, that uh, not a lot of people got to see you know it, may, it just makes it kind of special and then obviously you tell your friends and you go online and it creates buzz but obviously it it kind of to Michael's point um, a lot of companies obviously or clearly just don't really see the the value in that anymore because uh, if you look at PAX um, every subsequent year it's become smaller and smaller um, and yeah you know the, the original purpose of PAX if you kind of look at what the Penny Arcade guys basically said about it was that it was really supposed to be a more smaller scale kind of indie um, focused on on fans focused on you know indie developers uh, focused on tabletop gaming and things like that and and to 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 that point uh, that's really what PAX is still is basically uh, lived up to um, there are several years where uh, it seemed like it was kind of like a, a midpoint between E3 and um, like Gamescom uh, which allowed you know, developers to kind of utilize that as a, as a, a midpoint to like show off something maybe, um, that, uh, um, would allow them to, to kind of take up the oxygen, um, for like a news cycle. But, um, but yeah, it just, it, it's not really the same anymore. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a smaller event and that's really what it kind of comes down to now. What I find so interesting is that PAX South went under because it was all indies, and as they had said, they were having a they were not able to draw the big names, and therefore the show couldn't grow. Now, everyone blamed the pandemic, but I think we can all agree that in the in the days of old, for me, it was always a fantastic companion piece to E3 because, as Michael will tell you. There are several games that we would get at E3 where we'd get the big announcement or the reveal, but they were not ready for us to see them in terms of a playable form. I think, you know, Michael, you remember the theaters where you'd go, you check into your appointment, and then all of a sudden they open a door and you go sit on a couch or a bunch of chairs and they shut the door and then you get to watch a video or you watch someone play it and then it's all very okay we're not at, we're not taking any questions at this time we'll be in touch thank you very much and then as time went on you had more and more of them uh, i remember alien isolation was a prime example some of the bethesda games where they'd show them to you and then they'd say now we're going to take you over and let you play them and for me it was always a nice companion piece where i could tell people we got a look at it at E3, and we got maybe a little bit of hands-on time, but at PAX, especially for those games that were within, say, six to eight months of coming out, that's when we got a much deeper dive into the game. You would go in during press hour, and you would find, in some cases, the developers or the reps at the booth were more willing to talk to you in detail. They were more willing to show you a different build of the game than you had seen in June. So, you know, like you guys had said, E3 was all about the reveal, reveals and about building the hype. PAX was about the general public getting their first look at these games up close 
and the media getting a deeper dive into the game so we could get more details. You know, it was a lot of, this is what we have, we're not ready to talk about it. But when September rolled around, all of a sudden they were willing to talk about it a little more in most cases. And I think, you know, that's the big question. We saw from this PAX lineup, we are seeing more companies coming back. And so, you know, that's a good thing. Just, you know, I'm not gonna go and name every single one of them, but off the top of my head, I see Intel has got a nice size booth. Tiny Build's got a good size booth, and that's fine. But then, as you said, when you start looking around for large publishers, then you're kind of out of luck. I mean, 505 Games, small small booth, uh, you know, Focus Entertainment, okay, but that's a decent-sized booth. But, you know, when you look at the floor plan, you're used to these massive you know, footprints where they take up. Now, for example, Gearbox has a really nice sized uh, footprint, but it's nowhere near what you would expect from, you know, in the past. And one of the things that I am really curious about, because we have had people at New York Comic Con, I've been at WonderCon, Comic Con Special Edition, you know, Michael, you've been at CinemaCon, stuff like that, and we're having more and more return. One of the things I noticed is that there is, has not been as many props at some of these conventions. WonderCon had a really nice setup from Funko and so on. But, um, you know, you've been to Comic-Con, Michael, you know how that's a really big deal to have all those props to go up and take photos of or stand next to and stuff like that. And we know that we, you know, we've, we've run the list earlier, Star Wars Celebration D23 Expo, probably going to have a pretty large number of things to stand next to and photograph because that's a big part of the experience. I am very, very curious with PAX East what kind of booths we're going to get because when we had people cover certain cons and stuff, they had told us, well, you know, like, for example, PAX West last year, we heard, well, you know, it was kind of just basically a booth space with the monitors and the computers and the video game set up. You didn't see the gigantic props. You didn't see the very elaborately decorated stuff. And that's understandable. That costs money. That takes time. And so that was the big question. I'm really curious. Uh, you know, again, I focus on Gearbox. They announced way off that they were going to be there promoting Tiny Tino's Wonderland, which is already out. Are they just going to be there with a booth, a couple displays showing off the thing? Because Gearbox has been notorious for having very large uh, displays. I remember when Battleborn was being promoted, they had, you know, gigantic statues of the characters right there at PAX, at E3, and stuff like that. So what do you think, Michael? Do you think we're going to see props, or is it basically going to be, here's a poster, here's the game, enjoy yourself? Yeah, so I haven't been to a PAX show, so I don't know traditionally how that's been. Where I, certainly E3 and and you know SCCC were always huge on on the props, you know the big booths, the elaborate displays, um, which I think uh, and again those are typically the the result of the larger studios, um, not necessarily the biggest studios, but some of the larger studios putting the effort and money into those things. Um, which, again, are, are really fan service types of things. But I would even say that the past, when you look at E3 from the past 2018, 2019, I think there was a big reduction of props in general as opposed to earlier shows in the, like, early 2010, 2011, 
back when they had when it was you know again it was again not public for one um but i remember they would have the big showcases where they would go in and show them on tv and that sort of thing and you would see the these huge elaborate um setups you know and sony's done this on their show on their showcase floor where they've had you know pretty big um prop setups and that sort of thing but i do think right now that you know you know i just i unless it's again trying to to work the fan service stuff um and there will always be some of those companies that really want to want to you know push that angle i think a lot of that stuff is just extra money that companies just don't want to put invest in right now um again maybe that'll come back as uh pandemic wanes is you know there's less issues with um supply chain with employment i mean we keep hearing about all these big companies that are constantly hiring because you know people can go find jobs elsewhere um so there's a lot of retention type stuff that go in in the industry that is probably better suited for some of that funds than some of the bigger props now i do think obviously there will be some props there um and i would i would expect that you know with some of these other shows the cinemacons the sdccs those types of things they're definitely more prevalent um again because they have the big media moguls behind them that are throwing um that really want to advertise um whereas i think a lot of the game producers now are hoping the games do that for them i think some of the exceptions are games that where they don't necessarily have a uh something to show off yet maybe they have a demo or they even don't even have that far so they have the big props set up to kind of get you excited about something that doesn't exist yet and we we have seen that um i i think i remember monster hunter was lost in ice iceborne whatever um i know they had a huge display oh, right the massive dragon that's yeah, right yeah that because the, because it, it had been announced but there was no playable expansion yet um but they did have it so I, i think it is a good way to get people excited and talking when they don't have something to show um but i just don't know if that's going to be a main focus right now i again we might get back to that uh, again I, i don't really know specifically if that's something that they're going to move away from forever but i can kind of see as as they're kind of waiting to wage the cost of it versus how many people are expecting to show uh and again maybe a lot of these shows are expecting a huge turnout so they're going to go there uh but i just don't know if we're there yet yeah it, it's going to be really interesting we have a a brand new crew of uh people that are going to be covering it for us and you know some of them have a background in radio some of them have uh just you know what uh they deal with running um forums uh and uh pages and uh for this convention and others and you know they're all gamers and it, it's interesting when i talk to them right now because i've been handling their appointment bookings and you know this is what's coming in what do you think and the general attitude i'm getting is i'm excited for the show i'm excited to get back out and see people and get, get out there covering it but so far i'm not excited about what i've been uh invited to see and of course you know michael we've had that experience where we've had shows where we're just like yeah i don't know that you know the offerings aren't looking that good this year and then all of a sudden you get a rush of things 2 weeks before the show and or you get out there i mean i've i i still remember a comic con where we were i think it was our fourth year covering the show we were sitting in the lobby and all of a sudden my phone got an email saying uh sorry for the last minute but do you want to go meet Jillian Anderson uh as she talks about the uh new X-Files comic and this was before any of the revivals so you know things do come in and things sometimes take time so 
I kind of am trying to be cautiously optimistic, saying it's certainly a much better offering than we've had any any time in the last two years. Uh, but it it is not what would normally be there. But I also look at it and say it's better than PAX West had to offer. And PAX West is usually considerably more companies than PAX East. And so at least we can look at it and say, instead of going through this whole con of who are these guys, I, I work in the industry and I don't even know who the majority of these companies are, to, oh, wow, this is, uh, you know, these are some named companies coming back here. Whether or not they have anything major to reveal, at least you're seeing some named people coming back. Justin, wrap it up for us. What is your take on this, please? No, I think, you know, uh, I think you guys basically nailed it. It's, uh, I, I'm not really quite sure where where it goes from here. Um, we'll, we'll have to basically kind of see how, how it all kind of shakes out. Yeah, I think it, like anything else, I think it's hit and miss. I think you're going to see, I think if I had to take a guess, I think people will perhaps cautiously dip their toe into returning. I think you'll see some of them try to do this. And I think what's going to happen is, as we've discussed before, if somebody who's coming in without a wave of hype blows up and takes off, you're going to see uh, a lot of, you know, movement in this area. If you're going, if you see somebody put out something really highly profiled and it tanks, you might see some uh, movement in this. And perhaps if we get, you know, last year was certainly a lot better. Let's not forget what the previous years uh, showcases were. We got tons of these online ones. And if you remember, Michael, a lot of them were essentially talking heads, uh, just way too excited about stuff. And then you see the trailers and they're like indie game, indie game, indie game. And you would sit through two hours of these things, hoping that something big was going to drop that never came. Whereas last year it was much more focused where you had developers even coming out and saying we're going to be showing you this we're going to be showing you that uh kind of like uh, the summer games fest with jeff Keeley, where they've already come out and said we're going to have this publisher this publisher this publisher so you will sit and watch those trailers because you know they're coming and the format changed if you remember they would open with a couple of really big announcements and then do some of the other smaller stuff and then they finish strong with a lot of uh, big announcements. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting. There's always something going on in the game industry. Now, uh, Joy of Live Broadcasting, folks, I just got in a news thing, and I wanted to update this. I know it's not a major news thing, but it is from Netflix, and it involves a very popular show, and I am not ashamed to admit it. I watch it with my wife, and I have enjoyed seasons one and two very well. Uh, but uh, Emily in Paris is currently getting ready for uh, season three production this summer. And Lucien Laviscount is now going to be a series regular. And that is basically what they have sent in. They've just said that the show will be uh, entering production this summer because, as people may remember, there was a COVID delay between season one and two. And if you have not had a chance to see it, it is a very cute and fun show. And it's Phil Collins' daughter, by the way. A little side note. That is going to do it for us this week, folks. Everybody take care, and we will talk to you next week.